Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 203. Hello, hello, welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we're sad, heartbroken, scared, angry, frustrated, infuriated, and everything in between. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, uh, and I have none of the answers, but I do have a lot of questions. Today, we're going to talk about the uh, protest sweeping the nation, and that's the only thing we're going to talk about. It's a departure from our normal format, but I think you'll understand, and are maybe even hankering for some conversation that'll attempt to clarify what's going on, and I use the term attempt very strongly. Uh, um, today, uh, I have nevertheless a fantastic panel. Um, they're both joining us for the first time. Uh, we have with us um, the uh, comedian, and I have only, I've never, this is my first time meeting him. I'm so excited to meet him. Um, but he has such an extraordinary reputation among comedians. He's got a new album out called Who the Hell is Dwayne Kennedy um, on Bandcamp. And it is, in fact, Dwayne Kennedy. Hi, Dwayne. Hey. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. We also have with us, um, oh my gosh, I have performed with this guy several thousand times um, all over uh, New York. Um, and even, I don't know, weren't we in Iowa or something together? Or that was All or, over the country, in Chicago yeah. and, and uh, in LA. Chicago, LA, yes, there it is. Um, he is a, a comedian, he's a writer, he's a fantastic person, you see, you could see his uh, handiwork on Deezus and Miro. You guys, it's Josh Gondelman. Hi, Josh. 
Hello, thank hello, thank you for having me. Hello, who am I? <laughs> I'm British now. Hello, hello. What kind of a g- greeting is that? Um, I hadn't talked in four minutes and I forgot how to do it. <laughs> so, I guess just to start off, what are your just initial reactions to the last uh, week? In some ways, it's cathartic, you know, uh, because what happened in in Minneapolis, of course, is something that's been going on since America, you know. So now, just with the advent of people recording all these things, um, I think it was cathartic and it was inevitable because whites, what supremacy is still intact. And it was cathartic in a way, but then I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know what's going to truly come of it. Because this has happened before, you know. I mean, I was right. around when, when, with, when, um, when you know Rodney King, you know, the whole upheaval and the L.A. riots and all those things, right. and and then the thing in Ferguson. So, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know ultimately if anything's going to come of it because nobody, nobody gives up power willingly. So I, I we'll see what happens. The thing that I'm I'll say impressed by is that how many more, I mean, how many more white people seem to be involved in this, in this, I don't want to say movement right now is a demonstration. I think if it, if it sustains itself and there's significant true fundamental change, then it will have been a movement, but that's only in retrospect right now. It's just a, you know, a demonstration. And I'm there, I've noticed this even before this happened, I would, it seems to me like, Younger white folks, you know, younger than me, are, are seem to be more active and involved and aware of things. But as of this point, I don't know that that's translated into any significant change as far as opportunities, you know, because I see a lot of people out there pointing fingers and holding up signs and doing a lot of things. And I've seen that before. I've, I see I see television shows, you know, that are these liberal folk quote-unquote liberal white folks on tv pointing out all these ills but in some ways even some of those shows i know and unless things have changed i haven't been around it that a lot of these shows themselves don't have many if any black people working on those shows so right. they're pointing fingers at everybody but you yourself are full of shit you know <laughs> yes you know so that has to, it has to change truly, like I said, and fundamentally, you know, where there's, where there's actual opportunity for people, you know, and then what you do with that opportunity, of course, is up to you. And then it's just a matter of, then it's a meritocracy and then all those things. But right now, you know, it's, it's galvanizing and it's, it's striking, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see if the, if a true change happens and that'll only, I don't know, happen in time. So... Josh, what were your initial reactions? I mean, it's, there's, I think a lot of people are using the phrase like saddened, not shocked. And that, that's a lot of that feeling. And I'm trying to kind of like push through the heaviness to, to kind of take motivation from like what Dwayne was saying, what's now a demonstration, but hopefully will continue to build into a, a, like a bigger, broader and more powerful movement. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, it's just like, uh, it's really 
upsetting to see like the pervasive violence of law enforcement against black people and against protesters of, you know, this kind of coalition of protesters and not to, uh, not to all lives matter protests, but, you know, yes, yes, Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, it just feels like, hopefully I'm trying to like, look at the, look at what's, look at who's doing good and the black activists and the, the people who are standing in solidarity with them and trying to like do that. Just look at that and be like, Oh, okay. I can, I can do that. Um, yeah, I hear you. And, um, and I think it's, it's interesting because after, after Ferguson, I felt like, or during Ferguson, I felt like a lot of, um, you know, my, like white friends were like, oh, what's happening? Like it was an entree to the issue, I think, for a generation. And um, and it didn't, you know, and, and I think it, and it was meaningful and people talked about it for several months, if not years afterwards. Um, but um, I think, do, are you worried, Dwayne, that was that, did that not feel like a movement to you or did that feel like an aborted movement? Um, and, and does this feel like it could be something more? Uh, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, I'm cynical, you know, I don't believe okay. any, you know, um, this, it will all happen to me. Like I said, in retrospect, if there, if you see statistically, you can quantify advances and you know and where there are more you know demonstrably more black people in positions where they have traditionally not been in because and not because they couldn't do it just due to lack of advancement or opportunity that's only going to happen in time these these demonstrations that's gone on forever i mean this is probably the biggest one maybe in history but i don't i don't know if anything right now has change I, I don't i don't i don't know about a movement i don't know because again i don't you know what it is i mean just i don't trust white people you know what no no let me say this human nature forget the people again people do not give up power willingly and i think this the the power structure right now white folks they're they're, they're good right now at pretending to be concerned, at pretending to make efforts towards striving, towards considering to, you know, we're on the verge of about to do something. That's a lot. That's theater. And I've seen that a million times. I've seen it with, you know, diversity nights at so-and-so, you know, NBC, all those things. But, you know, but it really doesn't translate to any any su- sort of substantial, significant change that I've seen, you know. And obviously, I think a lot of Black folks have seen or felt because, or you wouldn't have this, you know. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. And I think you're right. People do not give up power willingly. So we have to uh, vote them out. You know what I mean? It has to be. It has to be a democratic solution to um, uh, to an entrenched problem, an entrenched power problem. And I, I'm op- I am optimistic. Um, it because, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you a little bit why I'm optimistic. The the actual 
So, so obviously, uh, what happened um, was uh, inhumane, ghastly, atrocious. Um, and I could honestly barely watch. I watched like five seconds of the clip uh, and couldn't, couldn't. And that five seconds are now seared into my mind. I couldn't. That was like as much as I could physically handle. Um, so, but I, I think what's interesting when you look at the data is that the number of um, of police uh, killing civilians has actually decreased since 2015 and in, in urban areas. So to be clear, in urban areas, that number has inc- decreased. Um, and it's decreased because of various policies, public pressure for those policies, um, you know, whether it's body cams, implicit bias training, you know, de-escalation tactics, whatever. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why that number has 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 decreased um, in urban areas, but it has increased in suburban and rural areas. So the national average is still shit and garbage. Um, but but what that get, makes me hopeful about is that there are actual policy solutions that have had some measure of impact. Not enough. Obviously, obviously, we see from Minneapolis um, and from the countless other cities, it, from the victims that I named, obviously, it's not enough. And it has to keep going, has to keep going, it has to keep going until it's zero. But I think that in terms of like, you know, there being some measure of change, we know what the policies are now that have started to work in urban areas. And now those need to be exported to suburban and rural areas as well so that we can truly get the national numbers down. But I, I, I wanted to talk about, um, police tactics. Um, what do you think uh, the police should be doing in these situations where, I guess, how have you guys handled the news um, that some of these, some bad actors uh, have been, you know, looting and causing violence? What do we, what do we do with that? That's a complex thing because... When, like when you hear people say, well, why, why do black folks, why do they tear up their own neighborhoods? But to which I say, these aren't really their neighborhoods. But most of the stores in their neighborhoods are not owned by black people. Most of the cops in their neighborhoods are white people. So it's not you. Black people have always been treated as if they are an unwelcomed guest. You know, we use you. We're done with you. We don't want you here. That's clear by in the way they treat it. So I think when something happens like this, we know that what white again, what white, what America values, what white people value is property. They value that above people. They value that above us. So. What is it the thing that you can do to get white folks to listen? You can mess up their stuff. You can take their stuff because that's what they that's what they value. It's mm. demonstrated in the way we live and the way that they treat you. So, you know, like again, when they say, well, why do why do black people tear up their neighborhoods? I don't think a lot of black people they don't. If you don't work or if you have a if you have limited opportunity. You don't feel a connection to this, you know, and you don't have 
you live in poverty or below standards, you're limited with opportunities. You have an occupying force, which is the police, which treats you as such. You don't feel connected. So when something happens like this, it's just now it's cathartic. It's a chance to. And and also. When all you see around you in media, so it's is stuff when you when you should aspire to to achieve things things are what validate you you know shoes and clothes and this and that and now you don't have the the means which with to get that now you have an opportunity well i'm going to get some of that stuff that makes me feel better about myself that's what you you know perhaps that's what you think and i'm also mm. gonna this gives me a chance to then it to empower myself to to tell you you know f you and i'm gonna do this so I think you have to first people have to first feel like they have an investment that that they are invested in a community, in a country, in a culture, and that 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 culture values them in that way. You know, people don't tear up what they think they have a stake in, you know. So I just think a lot of black black folks just don't think they have a stake in it. Not really. Yeah, I remember uh, the governor of Minnesota and the mayor of Minneapolis were sort of like, no, they're outsiders and they have nothing to do with our town. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then they had to kind of walk that back and be like, well, we were sort of hoping that they were outsiders and have nothing to do uh, with our town, Um, the people who were looting. I mean, I think obviously there's going to be – a myriad of reasons. There's going to be what you talked about, which is a more um, global, you know, rationale for why, um, you know, black people don't feel like they have a stake in a community. But there is also just it, like, you know, I, I heard a lot of, of reports from people in New York City. They were like, yeah, it was a lot of teenagers like stealing stuff that are just like they have nothing to do. They're just it's opportunism, yeah, you know, sure, it has like nothing to do with a movement, has nothing to do with, absolutely. you know, any kind of like theory of belonging. It's just absolutely shitty, shitty, shitty behavior. Yeah. Um, but and, I, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, go for it. Go for yes, it. Yes, that's true. But I think also coming from a. Uh, again, culturally, a, a group of people, if there were more people that they were around that felt they had an investment or a connection to this, that might have given them impetus to not do this because, well, maybe I want to tear this up, but I know this would affect, you know, my mother or my father or my uncle who has an investment in this or, you know, but when everybody's cut off, when everybody's isolated, then nobody has a concern about how it's going to affect the larger populace. Josh, what'd you make of the, the violence? Well, when you, I mean, when you say the violence, what do you, what do you mean? I, Cause my thought first goes to like the violence perpetrated against protesters, right. By like right. the NYPD has been incredibly aggressive. There were the, um, the, way the protesters were treated before Trump spoke a couple nights ago with were um some kind of tear gas or smoke. Oh my god. Let's just let, let's just explain to listeners what happened there. Sure. Um Trump uh, spoke at the Rose Garden and while he was doing that um can you tell the listeners what was happening? Yeah, so he went to he he went to to hold a bible, right? He went to <laughs> right. hold a bible in the air yeah. and um and there were protesters nearby who were pushed back pretty aggressively, right? Yeah. There was, 
Yeah. Um, with the so that, tear gas oh, tear, and yeah. with um, rubber bullets, fl- flash rubber bullets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it uh, yeah, Pepper it's spray it's, all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I just want us to say, this was a fucking photo op whose value. It's I was just like reading, looking at the National Review to try and see what was being said about this photo op. Um, and so, and there were some headlines that were like, oh, rather aggressive tactics were being used, you know what I mean, to like, for the president to be able to walk to St. John's Church. Um, and uh, so uh, even even on, in that conservative zine, there was, you know, uh, some criticism of the handling of it. But in general, to, I, I, I can't imagine that that photo op was worth it for his e- for his base even you know what i mean like what what did he get out of that photo op um that you know that was worth violating the constitution and the in pe- the right of the people to peaceably assemble you know what i mean like, i mean i think what he got out of it was the ability to violate the constitution and the right of people to peaceably assemble <laughs> right right like, right like that right. to yep. me is who cares he's holding up a bible swinging it around like a like he just pulled it out of the oven or something and uh <laughs> he but like that's it that i don't care about the photo i care about the violence that was enacted on people on to make people, that photo yes. possible yeah, yeah. Right. that's that's like what like I saw the, the clip of the photo and I was like, this is very silly. And then I heard the reporting about what happened to to clear that space. And it's like, that's the fucked up part. I don't give a shit. He could eat a Bible on camera. I don't care. Right. And like what the way he's treating people and the, the way the way that um and, and it's not just him. It, I mean, the way that like Bill de Blasio is like kissing the ass of the police union that openly hates him and makes fun of him publicly is like cowardly and despicable to me. And, and and so I, I, when we're talking about violence, that's the kind of violence that I, that is like uh, scary to me. And, and that, that jumps to mind. And also the Kerner commission, which is from, the late 60s, I don't remember the date, 68 maybe. Um, it, it, Lyndon Johnson set up this commission to figure out what is happening and why and what what is what should we do to change it. And one of the things that the Kerner, Kerner Commission found at that time was it recommended to eliminate, uh, quote, abrasive policing tactics, that they only make things worse um, and that they're, they are part of the problem. Um, right. And so we have known that abrasive policing tactics uh, do not work. Um, and yet we're, you know, we've seen the use of them. And, and it, you know, that- I, I, I have to just say one more thing, which is that I am a little... Like, I feel for the mayors. I feel for all of the mayors because mayors are put in the position of wanting to rally the police so they can do a good job and be supportive of them and protect the city and keep police uh, men and women alive and 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 all of that. So that's like... Then we'll they, tell them to stay home. They're mandated to do that, right? To like, to like for the police force to 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 run the police force and for the police to respect the mayor right like that's that's something that sort of has to happen if you're running a city but at the same time 
the police unions make it nearly impossible to fire someone. Um, they make it impossible for there to be real redress. There's, there's uh, the, the immunity um, laws that help protect police officers. There's so many things that are working against a mayor just cleaning house. Uh, it puts them in across the board. In, in, it, I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to like. De Blasio said some ridiculous things, and uh, you know, and he should really. Um, you know, be held accountable for them. But in general, I I am sympathetic to like how difficult this is and how strong police unions are. And that's, you know, that's part of the problem, right? Like that we need to address again through policy measures. Sorry, Dwayne, you were going to say? No, no, no. When you were saying about police tactics and and techniques and, but in some ways you say it's not working, but in some ways I think it's working the way it's supposed to, to create, you know, to criminalize Black people to create, uh, uh, to to further feed the prison industrial complex. They they are generating customers. They need customers, and so yeah, yeah. it's really working the way it's supposed to work. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 commodification of the police force and its need for uh, yeah, for yeah, customers, be, right. And you're saying keep the city safe. Like, I don't know. I saw I, I saw people marching. I, I bet if you asked a lot of the people marching, speci- especially black people, do you feel safer when the streets are lined with police? I think the answer would probably be no, right? Like, and, and that's, those are the citizens. These are the people we're talking about. And I, I, I think that there's like a fundamental shift we're looking for with the police, which yeah. is that you know that that beat cops are know know the community and not in a you know uh what's the word not in a in a dehumanizing way like oh i better i better like know all of these criminals cuz they're going to be criminals or whatever but in an actual b- being a part of the bones of a community way um which is not something I mean, and, and i think it goes to the fact that it's it goes to the way that we recruit the police, it goes to the way that the police are ha- like half the time doing the work of a social worker without right. the training of a social worker, without the compassion or the empathy um, of a social worker. And so because we're we're emphasizing the wrong qualities and right. getting people to join police forces. What right. we really need, I think, half the time when they're coming to, you know, for a domestic uh, uh, situation or whatever is someone who's well-versed in social work, not someone who knows simply how to use a baton or a gun. Um, and I think the with the increased militarization of the police forces, the the focus on the the brawn and the weaponry has um, you know definitely surpassed any of the kind of community work that we want to see from the police. Right. Uh, does any of that? Sound like something? Yeah, they're, they're right. They're overburdened, like you said. They're, they're, they've been entrusted to not just enforce laws, but like you said, to be social workers, to be drug counselors, to be all those things that you know. And because I mean, because of archaic drug laws that criminalize addicts, where you know they, these people need help, they don't need to be incarcerated. That's that's the start. But um, I, I, I mean, personally, I've had. I've had some 
good interactions with cops. But overall, like I said, the, the, the function of police, and it's only occurred to me some years ago, is that basically is to protect white people and property. That's the order, you know. And then, so, and I think, when, again, when people know that, and when, when, and, and when police treat them as, as such, then it just creates a, a negative feedback loop. Well, you don't like me, so F you. So now, so now you, you, you help, to, you help to, to instigate the very problem that you purport to want to diminish, you know, the very, so. Right. And I think even with a mayor, like the mayor of Minneapolis, um, I heard an interview uh, with him and he just said, he, like, let's say he knows who all the bad actors are. It's going to be very difficult for him to fire the bad actors. Um, and yeah. so, and I think what at, what's at least hopeful about what, I, what that, what's hopeful about that for me is that there's a policy response that may precede the social fundamental social shift we're asking for, which is no more racism, right? We're asking for no more racism, but before we can get no more racism, we will probably be able to get actual policies that will push us into that direction. You know what I mean? Like it might be that policies are going to, because they're concrete, because they're easy to put your head around. You know what I mean? Because even a racist can understand union rules, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think uh, there's something, there's something hopeful to me. It's like, okay, if we can't get that person to not be racist, we can at least get them to follow a new set of rules or else they lose their fucking job. You know, right. um, and so there's something about that that I think um, I, I sort of like hang my my hat on to feel a little better. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to listen. We're going to learn about our sponsors who keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to continue uh, to talk about what has been happening. Today's show is sponsored by Prose. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, 
creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it just it makes common sense pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make 50 percent of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um will be taken off that's pros.com slash fake the nation you get your free consultation and 50 percent off your one-of-a-kind formulas uh again that's pros.com slash fake the nation go and get your just super personalized luxurious skincare products and hair care products that's what i'm gonna try next so pros.com slash fake the nation i am the type of person that has subscribed to things and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money. And because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year 
using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I had tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. (laughs) So they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. There are no fuss, no mess meals. Um, They eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, You can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 and use the code fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fake the nation 50 at factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. And we are back. Um, and I, uh, so I wanted to talk about, um, yeah, and we're going to continue to talk about topic number, the only topic. Um, so I wanted to talk about how, uh, and I don't know, is it, is it, gauche for us to talk about this? I don't know. But I wanted to talk about how this is playing into an election year because Biden made a statement. And I don't know if you saw Biden's statement, but he actually came out and um, and he made a speech and it was a social, safe, socially distant speech. Um, and it was perhaps the first time that I felt like Biden was speaking um forcefully clearly and it was um you know it was a good moment for him it, it, he also pointed out that just 
a simple election of Biden is not going to change America, just as the simple election of Obama didn't change America. Um, that there's a lot of other things that have to happen um, in order for us to see the kind of change we're looking for. Uh, what did you make of Biden's statement? Um, and did it give you any kind of uh, hope? Or is he any, does he represent any kind of hope to you? Yeah, any, yeah, he, he, it's uh, certainly more hope than having this lunatic in office. Um, he sounded, Biden, yeah, he sounded presidential. He did the things that you would expect and hope a president would do is to be, you know, try to heal and, 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 and gather people, you know, not, not uh, create these divisions and these, and, and, and um, these paranoid ramblings. So he, he sounded presidential. I, I felt, I felt better about Biden yesterday than I have, you know, this entire time. I mean, I was going to vote for him anyway, regardless, but. Right, right. You know, right. I mean, they could have, like I said, a, what is that? A tuna sandwich could be running for president. Not, but, <laughs> yes. You know, but um, I think, I think he, he did the things that a, a, a president should, should do. So I, I felt heartened. I, I felt heartened. Josh? I, I think he, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts about Joe Biden. I think it is nice to make a speech about like healing and soothing and coming together and, and addressing the like wounds of America. I still just, I wish that more, more democratic politicians were taking firmer stances about like, okay, what do we do now? Like, it's really nice to say to say nice things. And it's certainly better than a president who's like, yeah, we'll shoot you if you're out in the street. Right. Uh, and get you. so it is like, it is just to like put a tourniquet on the bleeding that's being done. It's so important, but I think to be, to be pushed to do more and, and say more and like really talk about like, he talks a lot about like the soul of America and what America is and what America could be. But it's like the, I saw a, a reports this week that the new Los Angeles budget right is 54% goes to the NYPD. And if we're talking about people that need treatment, people that need housing, why would we trust funding cops to do that job? Uh, why wouldn't that money go somewhere else? You know, and I, I would love to hear, um, I, I think like it is really, it is nice to be spoken to in a way that is like, um, reassuring and hopeful rather than uh blisteringly violent and dog whistle racist um and i i'd like to see more and hear more i agree with josh um yeah those are good points uh right <laughs> but the thing in some ways that i don't know if respect is the word that I, but i appreciate about trump is that he's not hiding it you know mm -hmm. he's an out there racist lunatic so that you know it's like man thanks for making that clear <laughs> yeah. it's yeah it's, it's, we don't have to do very much digging right, uh, you made our right. job easier thanks there's right. no reading between the lines here you know yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't know what joe might yeah. be up to but uh i know clearly that this cat in office is uh oh he is a virus he is a virus absolutely it's interesting i mean biden has sort of like been in his, you know, uh, pandemic, you know, basement bunker and 
as well he should. Like, he should stay home. He's also in a in a dangerous category of um, person because of by, by age. So I'm glad, um, you know, I'm glad he's been taking that seriously. Um, but I think this was the right moment. This was the right moment to come out mm-hmm. and say some things uh, forcefully. Yeah. I also should point out, um, he's he said things, and, and I don't know that he, I don't remember that he said them in this speech, um, but he has said in on his podcast, to of which I am a subscriber, and I hope that everyone who's listening subscribes to Biden's podcast. I hope, he, I hope Let's he's double his numbers. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, well, I mean, no, I'm I'm now in it. Like I'm in it really hard because it's like if if the pandemic wasn't enough reason to need someone new at the top, um, then this last week should be. I mean, we should just I should we should just like be sleeping outside of voting booths right now with our masks on. I mean, like I will just wait next to a, a voting booth until November. You know what I mean? I'm so desperate to vote. Um, and and so uh, if if subscribing to Joe Biden's podcast helps just symbolically with the numbers. Um, but I was listening to it and he said if I could put all of my money into preschool it, 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 education, it's like between I think he said zero to five or whatever. I, I I might be getting the ages wrong, but something in that area, um, he would. He thinks that's like the number one thing. And I, it's so many things track back to that. What are we doing with kids at that age? What are we doing with kids at that age? It, and a lot of our kind of systemic social ills track back to that. And I, and so there's, he, I think has the capability to think of this holistically. Um, and, uh, you know, and if there's one thing I got from listening to one of the episodes of his podcast was that, was that he's, he's not, he's not an idiot. He gets that there's, um, you know, in order to address systemic ills that manifest, that might manifest themselves, um, in some of the stuff that we've seen in, in the last week, uh, you know, we have to go back to, it's not just, it's not just changing the, the laws, uh, that, that govern, um, police unions, but it's also like making sure that there's childcare and, you know, universal pre-K and all, all of the, all of the, the, the policies that we talk about as progressives that we want so desperately, um, they are interconnected to this moment. You know what I mean? And uh, not to mention, I mean, not to mention healthcare, we're still in the middle of a, a global pandemic. Right. Yes. Right. Um, and if there's ever a time that we need, uh, we, we need healthcare, um, it's now. And that we need to have, um, and it, it's weird. It feels like, I don't know, does it feel like, uh, are we, like, it, does, it, does it feel like we're still in a global pandemic? I mean, we are, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like, kind of, uh, <laughs> like the last week or so, I've, I've kind of not dismissed the pandemic, of course. I mean, I still go out mask and glove up, but I certainly doesn't occupy my, it's not at, uh, foremost in my thoughts like it once was with all this stuff happening, you know. Except right, when I see and, oh, people out there pro- being amongst each other, like, man, there's going to be a spike at some point. What do you think, Dwayne, of that spike? I mean, this pending doom of a spike because of the protests. um, What do you think about that interplay between the protests and and coronavirus? Uh, I mean, I want to say the the protests and this whole thing, like I said, the way things were proceeding probably was inevitable. 
it's unfortunate that it happened during the time of a pandemic because now it's going to be a you know the double whammy of racism and all these other isms and then at some point again the the, the covid-19 hasn't gone anywhere you know covid-19 yeah. like well welcome to the streets everybody i i missed you all I, you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah where would everybody go you know shoulder to shoulder guys it's yeah. looking good yeah, yeah. So. Uh, you were going to say, Josh? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's really scary, the idea that the, of the spike this could cause. And I think the, the, the way I'm trying to look at that is, like, people are risking their lives because mm. this issue is that urgent, right? Yes. Like, it's, I, rather than, I think there's a way to look at it that, like, well, this is a risky behavior, right, to go out during this time. But I think what people are saying is, like, like, the the conditions in this country are risky and it's important to to take this risk for the greater longer lasting good and that's like something that's really um like uh, overwhelming to me in its in the power of that statement right that's how can, that's how can, compelling it is like i have to risk mm-hmm. this pandemic in order to stop living under this clandemic you know yeah, yeah. Yes! holy shit yes <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um no right i mean there's no like like the the you know i'm i'm actually in uh in california i'm in palm springs california right now it's where i grew you up are? And i was visiting what the I, F? I know uh, that's this this is background this whole podcast just to tell everybody that you're better than us is that you know <laughs> i grew up here though i grew up here oh, okay. I'm, uh, so you've always been better than i've us. always <laughs> been better there. no 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 um and and i well it's interesting because i, I will say i take a pause here for a second everyone has i said i've been here for two weeks and i'm i'm going back next week um, everyone has asked me about the flight uh, because I came here, husband, baby, dog, took a JetBlue flight. And every, I mean, I've gotten so many messages like, tell me about the flight. I think people are expecting mm-hmm. that flights have somehow dramatically changed uh, in the time of coronavirus. Um, and I, I'm, um, I'm, you know, listeners know I have a doctor dad, I have a doctor brother, and they're sort of like, wear your mask, wash your hands a whole bunch, um, you're going to be fine. You know, they weren't like terribly concerned about the flight. Uh, they were also asked me not to turn on the little vent thing above the seats. Oh. So I turned those mm-hmm. off. I, I clean, I wiped down all the seats. Uh, we all wore our masks, um, you know, and it was, um, and it was fine. The, jet blue. I don't know. I think it's a policy. They're not selling the middle seat. So there were no middle, no one was sitting in the middle seats. Um, it was kind of one person per thing, basically, uh, per, th- per three seating, uh, three seat area. Um, I'd say the, the flight was like 20% full. So uh, other than we were wearing masks, um, it was still like, you know what I mean? The kind of thing where you watch like a rom-com and, you know, and you cry unnecessarily and then you land, you know? So it was uh, ultimately that. But I've been in Palm Springs and it's interesting. The, um, why did I bring up that I'm here? Oh, uh, I I haven't had the opportunity. I don't remember what I was talking about, guys. I'm a really great podcast host. I hope you're gathering that. (laughs) We have been talking about people putting themselves (laughs) at risk to to be in the streets. Right, right. Okay. So, um, so I haven't. There's, there's been. There wasn't very. uh, There wasn't very many. 
you know, protests here. Um, what so a I shocker. Been, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I want to say shout out to Coachella Valley activists. They had, they had planned a protest. I wasn't able to go. I can't, I mean, look, I have a baby. My relation, I'm the kind of person that went to every protest. If there was like a protest, I was out there, um, and up until like my baby was born, I had a very like I'm going to protest. Uh, you know, I'm, I was that guy. But would you would um, you be out there by yourself in Palm Springs, like you were known as the town protester? <laughs> um, I it's funny. I did. I, I did go to a, like like something. There was. I mean, we just don't have very much of that kind of activity here. But I uh, <laughs> but I wanted shout out to Coachella Valley activists. They set up a protest and. They moved it. It was supposed to be along this kind of main strip. And they had a lot of shops and stuff like that. They moved it to the city hall specifically because they didn't want to encourage looting. So they were being very responsible about the location uh, and all of that. It's also like 100 degrees here. So it's hard to protest during the day. So the protests were sort of evening. Anyway, um, but I, you know, I, I thought about like going out to protest and then I have this baby and then do I get sick with coronavirus? I mean, you know, because it does feel like one of these things where you're like, you know, do I get, do I protest and get sick and just assume that I'm, that I could like that there's like a a chance I could get sick. They, um, there's a study that came out this week, um, about, um, coronavirus. There's like, I guess more information about it. They found that staying at least three feet away from others, cuts the risk of transmission to 2.6% down from 12.8%. So the three feet really? is really important. Okay, because then I the heard one The three feet is really important. I heard, now I heard the one that they say you really should stand 12 feet away from somebody, not six feet. Six feet is not far enough. Uh, you know what? I don't remember. I'll post this article uh, for I'm listeners not, I'm not and I don't saying, remember where you know, we read it. Yeah. But yeah, so it, this... Um, then the study authors added that, quote, distances of six feet could be even more effective. So basically, three feet should be your minimum. Um, mm-hmm. The more, the further you can get from someone, obviously, it becomes more effective. Mm-hmm. They also said appropriate use of face coverings and eye protection reduces risk of infection, um, though not as much as distancing. And they also pointed out, and this is, again, this is something that Dr. Dad and Dr. Brother like to point out, hand hygiene is paramount. If you've touched something uh, that you didn't clean yourself, um, it's probably dirty. This is, I'm reading from the article, so you need to, you need to wash your hands. Um, Yeah. And and they, and hand hygiene is, you know, one of the ways we defeated, um, I think it was H1N1. So, in SARS. So I think that, that's like a big one. So um, if you're going to protest, uh, and it also, now that I'm a parent, I'm more sympathetic to people who are like, I can't go out and protest in a pandemic. Absolutely. You know no, I mean? absolutely. You can't. I'm sympathetic. Yeah. I don't know that I would have been sympathetic, to be honest, like a, a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, no, you, you, can't jeopardize, you can't jeopardize your baby. No. no yeah. And there, right. are people, there are people who are... Um, with suppressed immune systems that is just like extra dangerous and that makes sense and there's lots of ways for people to to be heard and and to be helpful and participatory even if they can't even if it's like extra dangerous for them to be in the streets Mm -hmm. right um i want to uh talk about ways that people can be helpful actually um and kind of bring the show to a close on this note uh what 
Dwayne, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, you're a black man. And what do you think? <laughs> Hold on. What the? <laughs> do you want to change any of your previous answers? <laughs> um, what, what would you wish from, from the average people? Like, you know, that I'm talking about like friends of mine who I went, white girls I went to high school with mm-hmm. who are like nice ladies. And they might have like a baby now and they're good people, but they don't necessarily like fundamentally understand the thing. Mm-hmm. What would you wish for them to know or do? Because I mean, America has a lot of these like nice people who don't necessarily understand. Well, you could be nice, but if you, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point now, like I said, if you aren't actively a part of the solution, then you're part of the problem because your niceness um, facilitates this. You know, if you are not actively trying to dismantle or push back or counter this issue, then, then, then you're just, you are a benefactor of this, you know, which I think a, a lot of people's niceness is, just benign indifference because I'm not inconvenienced right. and I don't want to risk being inconvenienced. So everybody's got the veneer of niceness. I don't know. What does that mean? You know, night. I, when people sometimes ask me if I tell them, like if I met somebody famous, Oh, are they nice? Well, I mean, they said, hi, I don't know if they're nice or not. They didn't smack <laughs> me. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, what it's is a it shit that Martin distinction. Luther King said, uh, Evil persists when good people do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't care about you being nice. I don't care. Because you could you could be a... Lyndon Johnson was a racist, but he did good things with the civil rights bill. So right. I'd rather have a jerk who's doing good things than somebody nice who's not doing crap. Right. Yeah. Um, I know a lot I of also, nice white folks. Anyway. I, 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 now that you mentioned MLK, I want to... Um, there's a quote that I read um, that I had forgotten about um, that I think is really useful for this time. He said, um, in the final uh, final analysis, and this is basically kind of what you've been saying, Dwayne, but in the, he said, in the final analysis, the riot is the language of the unheard. As long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Um, he was against riots or whatever, but he's also like, this is, this is the language of the unheard. And I think to the, to the people whose niceness is a cover for indifference, um, you know, you're being a nice, being a nice person isn't enough. (laughs) No, no, not really. Not really. Right. Um, I mean, I find it. You're nice, but then what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, what, what do you, what do you, is there something that white allies can do? I mean, Josh, you're a, you're a white ally, presumably. Is there something you feel like? That used to be um, Josh's stripper name, wasn't it, Josh? Well, white ally. (laughs) It was white ally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now I feel like it's, you know, I go by the Jewish wonder now. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I've been trying to listen and inform myself. Uh, speaking about like riots and civil unrest, I read this. Uh, a friend shared um, this article from the New Inquiry called "Black Riot" by an author named Raven Rakia, or I, I think I'm pronouncing that as close as I can. And it just like I'm trying to just be informed and donate money to bail funds and mutual aid for neighborhoods and and health. You know, healthcare. It's um pride. There are so many. Uh, black trans and queer people that are you know arrested have been arrested at protests uh so donating to those funds um trying to use the platform i have to amplify people smarter than me and uh and and if you can go out go out into the the streets if you if you feel like that's something that you're up for and and join a protest and like listen to the leaders of the protest and you know, I'm sorry I'm not being very funny. No, <laughs> just, it's, it's okay. I just it's feel a, so – I'm like yeah. a deeply sincere dweeb under the best circumstances. <laughs> and this is just like brought out just the like uh, – um, just like loud, gushy Jew in me. Just like fucking do something and, and listen and, and do what people are asking. Dwayne? Uh-huh. Is there, <laughs> what, what do you think people should be doing? I, I, I want to try to give people something. Do what you can, but do do something. I, I don't know. Uh, if it's an organization you want to contribute to, if it's you want to go out there and march like people are doing, hey, people have marched more than I have. I haven't marched at all. So, you know, but in some ways I can't just coast on being black. You know what I mean? I still have to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. But whatever it is, because ultimately only – True change only truly happens when you, because you can't legislate human nature. You know what I mean? I don't care how many laws you enact. If people have no will and no desire to affect change, change won't be affected. I don't care how many laws exist. So maybe what you can do is look inside yourself and ask yourself questions and then try to see and, and maybe see the person that you want to be and try to be that person. Hopefully I assume that's a good person. Not like if you're Donald Trump, cause he probably tries to tap into his inner gangster and he's fulfilling that. But you know, yeah, um, I feel like his inside and his outside are very close <laughs> right, to the same. Right. You're right, Josh. You're right. <laughs> no, his, his, his inside is worse. He said, I'm trying to, if I can just get to that higher level of gangster. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Just get, make sure the the uh the, my personality is as toxic as my colon obviously is. <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, um, may, I mean, you know, this might start in your personal life. Not to, I've had uh, just this morning a lot of you know allies, whatever. Just white folks who I know just contact me. Hey, man, just wanted to tell you, you know, I love you and this and that. Which is oh, okay. And I mean, I mean. Who knows what that'll turn into? Like you said, when people just acknowledge somebody's being and their existence, right. you know, um, I, I actually posted on Facebook like, man, now now I got to be mindful to return the concern in case like Lollapalooza ever gets canceled that I have to <laughs> contact white folks and tell them I feel, you know, I see you and I feel bad for you and you know. <laughs> <laughs> you must be hurting right now. I had a, a 
yesterday, just coincidentally yesterday morning, a, a friend of mine who is black emailed to see how I was doing. And I was like, man, I must seem like I'm doing like shit. If that's who's, if he's checking in on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, uh, I want to, George Floyd's brother made a statement and in a statement, he, he said that you should be voting. And that mm-hmm. I think is, you know, is the number one thing. Yeah. Um, it all comes down to voting. And then it also all comes down to whether or not there is voter suppression. Um, and Thank so you. the, the, I would, I would direct everyone to fairfight.com. That's Stacey Abrams organization for free, fair and secure elections. And, She's doing the good and hard work um, that if you have money, that's where it should go. I know in um, during the last election, during the last couple of elections, we sent people to headcount.org um, where they would, you know, where you could do voter drives. Obviously, that those were happening at concerts and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of Fake the Nation listeners um, actually did volunteer for that and would give me reports um, about how fun it was. And um, so so those of you out there, uh, you know, because we don't have as many concerts to send people to to do um, voter registration, um, go to fairfight.com uh, and, and see what you can do there. Um, also look at Campaign Zero. It's a website that tells you where your local local reps are on these on issues of police brutality. If you want to see changes um, in, uh, in in how policing is done, Campaign Zero is a really great website. Uh, you can throw in your location, and it tells you who who your people are, where they stand. Um, because what you want from them, and I'll just tell you what you want for them. You want for them to change. You want uh, less aggressive policing tactics. You want de-escalating policing tactics. You want to get rid of qualified immunity so that it's not so difficult to actually get for police to um, uh, to for there to be justice when something like this happens. Um, yeah. and, and that's, um, a national, I'll interrupt you, but also in a national database so that a bad cop in one town can't then, if he gets fired, get a job in another town, you know, because right now. Yes. And that, because that happens so much, these people yeah. that have shit backgrounds, right. uh, so many infractions just go to another precinct, uh, you know, another city and right. then they're hired and then the cycle starts all over again. So absolutely. We need that database. And that's something that like, I think like some rando at Google could throw together in five minutes. You know what I mean? Like that's something we can do that thing, you know? Yeah. So let's demand that that, that, that gets done. Um, I also just want to, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask you guys to think about it for a second. I want to end on a hopeful note. Now, I know you're a cynic. Okay, I'm out. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) but I'll tell you my I'll tell you I'll tell you my hope. (laughs) I know. Do I I walk out? Is this solidarity? (laughs) (laughs) You're a white ally, Josh. You would have no choice. Um, But uh, I'm going to tell you guys my hopeful note, and hopefully that'll spark something. Um, I think you know it's. I've, I've seen a lot. I, I posted yeah, last night on Twitter. Also, like, whatever. Fuck Twitter, whatever. But also love Twitter. Um, I posted, like, I guess we'll just have to vote or something. And um, and someone re- responded to me, yeah, that won't really stick. And I don't 
believe that. I think it's a mistake to think that movements um, don't have, don't see change. It's just not, we kind of want to see time happen back to back. You know what I mean? We want to be able to experience things and bullet points with some sort of immediacy, but that's not how change occurs, right? Change occurs in a lot more boring ways. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so if we think that, for example, the Me Too movement um, didn't come from the the, the marches, the, you know, the women's marches, and that it didn't, and that we didn't see a blue wave in 2018 that is a direct, uh, at least partial result from the women's marches and the Me Too movement, and that we didn't see the ERA pass in the Virginia House of Delegates um, because of all of those things, we'd be wrong. Those things are all related. It's movement. You know what I mean? And granted, I just talked about a few good things happening over like the span of four years. And it's frustrating to wait for four years for any of those things to happen. But they're actually happening. You know but, what I mean? You know, ironically, Some I think- men, not all men, some men are actually being held accountable. So there's, yeah. there, there's, there's bright light spots in movements. And I think that we can actually see that again. You know what I mean? But we just also have to rec- come to terms with the idea that some of these movements are slower. It might just be a headline that's like some police union regulation has been changed and now it's easier to fire policemen. And then that's a thing that happens on one day and then you wait for a little while longer and then another thing happens. You know, that's, that to me is, um, it's unfortunately how change happens in a democracy. It takes longer. Um, but it, it is happen. It does happen. And, uh, and we have seen it. I think the ironic um, so that's thing what is, I'm hopeful about. Yeah, I, I think the ironic thing is some of those movements, the impetus for it gaining as much momentum as it did was Donald Trump. You know, right. You know, it's like, right. man, this cat is a lunatic and he's a, you know, a, you know, as assaulted women. Well, I can't get at him. But OK, you know what? I'm fed up with these men uh, just ascending based on their horrible treatment. So, you know, okay, we can't get you right now, but let's, we just sick of all of you men doing this. And, and, and so I think it just gained momentum as a result of almost like it was a, a, a catharsis. Like I can't get you Donald Trump, but all the rest of these jerks I can, I can take out. Right. Yeah. Um, is there something, um, that gives you hope? Uh, I about mean, this situation? Anything you know, you've seen, yeah. anything you've experienced? Well, I mean, the action that people are taking, I do have, I'm cynical, we'll see, but I do have hope. It's better than if nothing had been done. So, but we'll see. But I, I have hope. People like you, Josh, you know, the younger folk coming up and trying to, you know, affect some change. So we'll we'll see. I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic, put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's I we shouldn't overlook the fact that people have come out. We should not underplay that. That's remarkable. It is fucking remarkable the number, the sheer number of people around how many cities yeah. and not just in America, right? Who have right. come out in solidarity. And that's I mean, I and I just I'm so fucking angry that the looting has 
besmirched it. You know what I mean? Um, because we're forgetting the sheer beauty. And that's something with the, with, with the women's marches that we were able to just see and appreciate on a global scale, like women marching and yeah. allies marching. And yeah. it, you know, and it, and then there was like some moments here or there, or whatever, but by and large, the news wasn't about any of that other stuff. It was about the marching. Yeah. Um, and here, you know, it's been more of a mixed bag, obviously. Um, and it's so complicated. Um, and, you know, and I get it. And vandalism is scary and looting is scary and crowds surrounding police cars must be scary for police officers who may be good. You know what I mean? I, all of those things. I totally, totally get it. Yeah. Um, but let's not forget the sheer number of people that have come out that are fed up and the number of my white friends who seem to really like be in it, like be in the fight in a way that I found extraordinarily heartwarming. Well, um, yeah. And if, and if they're in it and like I said, and, and then they want to sustain that effort in a f- fundamental, substantial way, not be in it for the theater, you know, not be in it. Right. Yeah. To, to just say I was in it. And then, you know, you now you are somehow a grant. Don't be in it like don't be Mississippi burning it. You know what I mean? Where how this the oppression of black people, how it affected me, you know, do the thing that needs to be done to afford genuine, l- legitimate opportunity and access you know dismantle this uh white power structure you know i'm I'm, and i'm not saying you know it's not the matter of destroying white people it's not that it's just giving everybody an opportunity or legitimate opportunity to to ascend don't just be in it because so to say that you were in it it's if you're in it it's a lifelong membership yeah, and and it comes with lifelong responsibilities. Yeah, and one more thing, I don't uh, want to cut anybody out. This way. also yeah. with with the looting thing, I I feel bad for for small business owners who, if they were looted and that you know wiped out their business and their stores, corporations, I don't care about. But ultimately, again, um, but what's your position on luxury brands? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna have you call a dude because I nah. Um, <laughs> but. But still, who are the sponsors here? <laughs> right, right. But um, but ultimately, you can't. If you if you are more concerned about the looting, focused on the looting than the people, then you are. Then it's back to the whole reason why people were rioting in the first place: prioritizing things over people. You know, prioritizing material goods over people. That's the whole sickness of this society and this issue in the first place. So I don't want anybody I, uh, to be vandalized in small businesses. Man, I've seen some things on television and, and black businesses and just any you know, small bit. That's horrible and that's heart wrenching. But the bigger picture is treat people right and they won't steal your stuff. Josh. Yes, I have one. Well, um, let's hear it. Great. I'm not stalling. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just rambling. Uh, I think the thing that I am hopeful about, in addition to what you both have said, is that I think like the idea of voting and voters' rights is so important. And then I'm going to give the kind of converse of that, uh, which is that you can show up every day. Like you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till a primary. You don't have to wait till November. You don't have to wait till a special election. You can do something every day, whether it's calling 
your officials, whether it's demonstrating directly, whether it's it's giving money or just like improving yourself, having conversations with the people in your own life. I've had like really um, interesting and good, like real intense political conversations with dudes I grew up with that I like never anticipated that we would get into. And, and I think like that's part that all that is like part of doing the work. And it, it and you can feel the incremental progress that you that you mentioned uh so much more acutely and so much more frequently if you generate increments smaller increments by yourself and it with bigger movements that that don't rely on like waiting till dates on the calendar yeah yes um just to see people in their humanity you know to see yeah you know oh this is completely not totally on topic, but um, Steve King, I just read this morning that Steve King, speaking of like special elections uh, or primary elections, the Steve King, the Republican out of Iowa, who was like, you know, more on the garbage side of people. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) He was defeated in the Republican primary um, because, uh, and the Republicans in the state basically had said that he was an embarrassment. Um, The other, the person who beat him is also horrible. Uh, That is is the true fact. But there's a Democratic challenger, this is J.D. Shelton. Right. Is the person who beat him like 5% less horrible? No, again, a Republican. So, you know, I'm not supporting them. But, um, but, I don't uh, know if I can quantify But I just thought it. it was interesting that, like, that Steve King is so horrible um, mm-hmm. that other people are, like, looking good next to him. So yeah. uh, I don't know. That well, that that made me feel something this morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although this this cat that beat him, like, like Josh was saying, he might just be like Steve King, Steve King, except he just keeps what he thinks on the inside, you know? Right, 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 right. He so, might be better, right. He's yeah. not letting us read the full book like Trump does. Yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. in in bold face, plain yeah. plain words. Um well I like that, Josh. I like that, Dwayne. We are um uh in, in we're in this. And um and I do think it's the start of a sustainable movement. I hope. Okay. I really, really hope this is the start of a sustainable. I, I, I believe it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, listeners of Fake the Nation, how do you feel? I'm going to tell you, I fucking I actually feel better having spoken to you guys. I actually oh, like man. just feel better. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, b- because... Um, because it feel because it feels like movement because it feels like change um is could could come our way it could and, think, it, and it feels like just justice um and it could there could be justice has to be economic is, justice if 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 corporate heads people that run businesses substantial businesses if they truly want things to change things will change beyond policy you won't have to have a policy or a legislation or treat you know, a law to make people uh, equal opportunity. If the person who runs the company decides that that's what once they want to happen, it will happen. So it has to be a consensual will amongst people who have a, prof- a great influence on business and society. Those, you know, that's what I think. 
And you know what? To corporate leaders, I got to say, social equanimity is good business. Like you will earn more money if people don't have to go and protest for their rights. Right. You earn more money if people are free to do other things. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They'll be able to. They'll be able to buy your stuff if they're free to like uh, live equal lives. Yes. 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 Yeah. I always think. I, I tell people sometimes. You know. Help a kid today so that kid won't be robbing you tomorrow. Yeah, it is that. Yeah. 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 So, t- right. So, hey, CEOs, uh, help a kid today so that they will buy your dumb thing tomorrow, <laughs> right. you know, or whatever. If we right. want to put it in pure, ca- ugly capitalist terms that they may listen to. That's just like the cynical argument that I present to the business leaders. Yeah. Um, you guys, it was so lovely to have you both on the show uh josh if people want to um find all of the stuff that you do and follow your work where do they do that um sure i uh if you are not exhausted of my uh loud earnest white shouting um (laughs) i watch jesus and marrow and showtime i have a podcast called make my day it's just a comedy game show it's very silly and at the end uh the grand prize every week is 100 dollars donated to a charity or aid cause and there's only one contestant so they always win uh, so it's not stressful at all it is the least stressful game show in history um so if, if you're not sick of me if you're not sick if i haven't exhausted your goodwill go vote uh, go donate to the nationwide bail fund that's out now but if I if you do that and I still haven't exhausted your goodwill, subscribe to my podcast. Um, Dwayne Kennedy, where should people go? What should they do? I want them to find you. Uh, what am I on? I'm on I'm on all the old school platforms: Facebook, uh, MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. Uh, <laughs> I'm on I'm on a cup and string. No, um. <laughs> <laughs> the WB. <laughs> right. Um, and, and man, I'm not as magnanimous as Josh, you know, I'm not, I'm helping more. This is more pitch for my, myself, but, uh, yeah, just buy my album and, if, and, uh, well, let the, them know again, the title, where to who, get it. Who the hell is Dwayne Kennedy at, uh, Oakhead records at Bandcamp. Yeah. By Dwayne's album. He's so funny. Uh, thanks, yes, Josh. I'm have it. I am immediately going to buy Dwayne's album. I'm so excited um, to listen to it. Um, so please follow Dwayne and Josh and all the good things that they do. Um, and you know where to find me. Um, I'm going to be posting. Uh, I actually tweeted out some stuff where ways you can help. Um, and I'll tweet a couple more of these things that were mentioned on the show today. Um, you know, like the 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 bail um, the, the bailout fund that Josh was just talking about, and some of the and the um, fair fight links that um, that we were just talking about. So you can go to my Twitter uh, and see those things. Also, um, I put out a short film called The Morning Papers. That's morning is in grief, and it's, uh, you can see that at nagineforsad.com/stream. Um, again, that's nagineforsad.com slash stream. And it's a short film because of the pandemic. We put it out as a pandemic freebie. And it's about two undocumented sisters um, who find out about a death in the family. And um, and I'm I'm proud of it. And I think it's, um, you know, it's a nice little film. But it's also, it's, I made it sound like it's dramatic. It's not, it's a comedy. Okay. Um, all right, you guys. Uh, what I really would like to do, though, is I would really love to thank the people that make this show happen. Um, 
And man, they're doing it in, uh, you know, from their homes. And I really appreciate them. They are uh, Anita Flores, our talented producer, Andy Christens, our wonderful audio engineer, Gabby Alter wrote our theme music. Lily Fleshler helps with research. And you know that we love to hear from you. So send us your feedback topics. We should be chatting about guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005. It's a new number, you guys. So 331-901-0005. Or you can drop us a line at comments@fakethenation.com. Um, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. That's a real thing. You are all um, great. And uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, uh, see you soon. Goodbye.